Good evening, Patriots. And it is the end of Wednesday in July 12th in the year 2023. Yeah, I think we're going to, like I said earlier today on Bended Knee, this is like flamethrower week, not just flamethrower Wednesday. That's the only way you can deal with these lizard heads. I'm telling you right now, these things, oh, going after our kids. Ridiculous. Unbelievable. Makes just makes my stomach turn. And there's so many crazies out here right now that are getting media time. And we just need to be like, yeah, okay, we're just going to introduce you to the courts of heaven. One-way ticket. See ya. Patriots, one thing right now we want to stay away from is this medical tyranny. It's insane. Seriously. It's getting worse, too. There, I don't know if you know this, but they're consolidating the doctor teams into corporate-controlled teams to where they no longer have a say in how treatment is done. They're dictated. And according to Dr. Lee Merritt, a lot of that treatment is coming from artificial intelligence who's dictating how and what exactly the protocols are. So doctors just become overpaid hand puppets of the deep state agenda, which ultimately has the objective of turning everybody into a transhuman, uh, nutless, breastless thing, whatever that is. So that means we've got to be building up our pharmacopoeia in, to use a term loosely, our medical supplies in ways that are healthy and good for the body. And one of those that's outstanding for the body is CBD products. So whether you realize this or not, but it's 90% of the people that use CBD products sleep better, find them that have sleep problems sleep better. People that have anxiety, like 80% of them that take CBD products have a reduction in their anxiety. And then and another massive amount, like 70, 80% of the people that have soreness after fitness take CBD products and find that their muscle aches and their body feels better. And I've been taking them and I love them. So we have a fantastic sponsor for this show, which is cbdistillery.com, cbdistillery.com. Really like their products and wide range of products that come from American-grown industrial hemp, heavily tested to make sure the purities and, and when they put their products together, everything that's in their products is healthy for the body. So if you head on over to cbdistillery.com, cbdistillery.com, you're going to get 20% off when you use your Bard's promo code, and then orders over $75 get free shipping. It's an awesome company, great quality products, and it's stuff that we really need in our medical cavity. It's natural. It's what God intended, and it's truly for building the strength and the holistic bit within the whole body. Now, this Saturday, just so you know, the CEO of CB Distillery is going to be on. I'm doing an interview with him on Friday to air on Saturday. It's a special edition show, which I think you'll really like. And he's going to get into all the details of the CBD products and what they do and in, in his philosophy. He's, he's a great guy. Looking forward to talking with him. And I'll advertise it again. I'll let you know about it tomorrow and Friday to remind you. But it's going to be a great show. Really looking forward to it. So look forward to having him on and bringing a great discussion to a much-needed topic, which is, again, how to build our whole body health. So, again, cbdistillery.com, promo code BARDS. I want to read this. This came up tonight. I really respect this comment, and it doesn't have an origin. It was just posted on a site in one of the Telegram rooms, and it says in bold, Warning, powers in play may try to use child trafficking scare to chip children. That would be an absolute normal step in the playbook of these psychopathic perverts. So to get everybody freaked out about child sex trafficking and then come in and go, we've got the solution, we can ship your kids. And you know there's going to be a bunch of parental retards that are going to do this. I hate to say it. But they're just, there's so many NPC drones out here that are literally going to be like, oh, that's a good idea. You betcha we're going to chip the children, whatever. You know, it's it's really interesting. I, I was was outside. I don't know if I told you this, but I uh, went last Saturday when I left. I'm back up at the property tonight, and so last Saturday, when I left, I had an epiphany thanks to a special forces buddy. I was I told him I was working on my lawnmower, and he's like, he texts me and he says, um, "I'm trying to figure this out. You're working to fix your lawnmower. The grass is tall, and you have cows. What am I missing?" And I'm like thinking, yeah, that's kind of dumb. Like we've got about two acres around the house on, the, on this whole 80-acre parcel. There's a two-acre fenced area roughly around the house. And I'm like, and the grass has gotten really tall. And it just, it, it dense, like this time of year, it grows up. And I'm not just talking about the lawn, which I've cut, but the grass outside of that gets pretty tall, like three feet. 
and I was ready to go out there and waylay it with my brush mower. And I'm like, no, that's dumb. Let's let the cows do the job. So I opened the gate and let them in. So it's a fenced off kind of sub pasture with it outside of the big pasture. And I let them be, let them do their thing. So I came in tonight and outside of the uh, fertilizer that they've shared all over the driveway, which is easy enough to clean up. They did a fantastic job. They're what I call my new grounds crew. I mean, they literally got out here and the, the bull oversaw them and led them around where they needed to do. And they did a great job of mowing down my grass. So I was out there talking to them earlier. We were hanging out, having a chat. And I enjoy them. They're nice. They're curious. Too many flies on them right now. Not bad, but I got to get some fly stuff for them tomorrow. Is a, put it in a bag under, and there's a on the pasture I'm going to move them into, there's a little tree area that I'm going to hang these bags so they can walk through and dust themselves off and be happy. And I've got to get some mineral for them, dry mineral for them tomorrow as well. But they're out here just, you know, having a good day, chomping away and chewing the grass as they look at me like, what type of weirdo are you walking around? And seeing the calves and... You know, I, this is the thing that I just sit here and I remark at, and I, I've said this before, but when you're really up close and personal with nature, you really have to ask, like, what the heck happened to us? So cows have a purpose. I mean, they grow up and they, I don't know whether they know it or not, but they're going to become food. And so let's start just with that premise. And I've made jokes about this, but let's just get really down and dirty on this. Cows are eating grass. So I'm going to just make that clear. They eat grass or they eat grain if we give it to them. But they're out here. These are all grass-fed cows. They've been eating the whole hillside of grass. They're eating the whole grass around the property. They're in the upper house, which I think I can keep them here probably till Friday before they've mowed down enough that I'm comfortable. And then I'm going to move them to another, another pasture. And guess what? They're going to eat more grass. So... What does that mean? Grass goes into their stomach. That's grass. That would be vegetarian products. And what we use is a byproduct of grass, which we call beef. So though I can be snarky about it, the reality is that God gave us a cycle here to where an animal that consumes grass is not a predator, but consumes grass is then making itself available to give us two primary products. Milk and meat, both of which are vegetarian-origined. And if we do it right, natural and part of the ecosystem. And, and the output you get is they drop poop. And if you leave that poop on the grass or if you spread it, say, with a chain harrow or you collect it and put it into, like if you have an area where you have a feed yard where it mounds up, you put it into a manure spreader, and you put that back in the earth, you grow more grass. It's just an unbelievable thing that we're in a place where these people have been brainwashed to believe that growing lab-grown meat and vertical agriculture on hydroponics is this answer to global warming and that we should never have, never eat meat again. But it's okay to grow it from cells, but we should never eat natural meat again. I'm, I'm really trying to jump, I, and I don't follow the logic as much as I can say I understand how dumb they are. It's unbelievable that a brain has become wired to think that that's normal. And so he goes further because we're I'm standing here out here tonight watching this and I don't know how much you've been around cattle, and I'm not going to tell you I have a wealth of life experience around cattle, but I'm getting quite a bit of it now that I have cattle. And I just, I watch these calves, and they're still some young ones, and some gotten a little bit bigger, and they're just like kids. I mean, they're out here, they tail chase each other, and they jump around. I watched one tonight try to get all kind of strange, and I was what I was watching is I watched the bull and he's a, man, he's a beautiful bull. That's the one I bought last spring, this last spring. And that was from Terry Anderson with Anderson Land and Livestock up near Pendleton. 
just a wonderful man and a wonderful operation. So I have I watched this and this bull's out here and he's kind of hanging around with the cows. And one of the little calves comes up and starts nuzzling him and then just starts to kind of, you know, do a like try, I'm gonna show you I'm a, I'm a growing, you can just see the action. It's like, let me show you I'm a growing young man. And I watched that bull headbutt him a bit and kind of knock him back. And then I watched the bull go over and kind of nuzzle him. And basically what you're watching is here's big daddy mentoring the young boy. And then I watch a cow and there's, there's some flies out here. Like I said, it's not bad, but there, I've got to get some stuff for them tomorrow just because I know they're bothering them, but it's that type of year, time of year anyway. But I'm watching the mama cow go out here and she's just completely licking down the back of the baby of the calf to get rid of the flies and to clean him off and to make him feel better. And so I'm, I'm watching the mother, I mean, literally the, the, the parenting model here operate in nature as we have these retards out here. Like one guy that literally just did a video. I'm not even going to play it because it's so disgusting. But he's, he's supposed to be the first man that will have a uterine transplant, full uterine transplant, who is excited about the fact that the uterus is coming from a trans male, which means it's someone who used to be a female that wants their uterus removed. He's going to get that one's uterus in a surgery. And the first thing he says he wants to do is to get pregnant and get an abortion. What the hell has happened to us? I mean, this is the insanity. I sit here and look and I'm like, okay, this isn't even a world that I recognize. I mean, this is like bizarro land. And cattle are sitting here. I'm literally, and I'm walking around the cattle and I'm talking to them and they're, they're friendly and they're chomping their cud. And one of them came up to me tonight and just, you know, just kind of gave her a pet on the nose and they're friendly. They're always a little suspicious. They don't know what you're up to. Because they're just curious more than anything. It's like, you know, I'm, my feeding time, what are you? They're always feeding time, by the way, unless they're sitting down. And then they're, it's their second feeding time because they're popping their cut up into their mouth to chew it again. But they look at humans, and when you're out walking around with them, they, they kind of see you as what you are. You're walking around, they see you, and you're kind of stewarding stuff. They're paying attention. They're curious what you're doing. They look to you for, they're expecting me to always bring them something to eat. But at the same time, when I'm sitting there, I'm walking around, I'm going, you all have every right to look at me like I'm bizarre from another planet because if you really knew what this species I represent is, there's at least a third of it that is bizarre from another planet that we don't even recognize. The whole balance in nature is just amazing to me. And it's so fundamentally simple. And it does pivot on this one principal point, which is love. And animals get that. They get that love immensely. There's this video on TikTok the other day. That it was a, a Hebrides, a, a, um, what do they call it? A Scottish, no Scottish cows, Hebrides cows, Hebrides, they're the long hairs. And he's out, he's made friends on this, the, the woman that was filming it, it's on their property. Their duck and this cow have made best friends. So the duck and the cow go out together to the pond, and the duck won't go into the water until the cow goes into the water, and then they go and they swim together. Now, that's pretty bizarre, but then again, maybe it's not. Because it's just an issue of, we look at this as like two bizarrely different animals, and there's something that they're able to find in unity and we're struggling to figure out which way is up with what gender people are. There's a real sickness here. And it's not just, it isn't just a mental sickness, though, I mean, it is. But this has also been accelerated by a massive demonic attack against humanity. In a humanity that has no armor up, they are, they are ill-prepared and ill-equipped and ill-trained to deal with this level of demonic attack. They are getting swooned into this whole principle 
of gender confusion. I'm hearing more and more stories of people going to public schools, and I'm beginning to believe that public schools have become almost like demonic vortexes. And I'm not kidding. I don't say that lightly or you know, or flippantly. They demonic vortexes where children that are going there are coming home in a short period of time and saying things like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to you know, color my hair purple and I'm going to start wearing lipstick. And I don't know that we, we want to point our fingers at the teachers, which they're part of the problem because they're a catalyst. But there's something much greater going on here. And this is where we have to really start getting serious and we go back to the county by county model and we go back to pillar number three, pillar number two, I'm sorry, pillar number one was home churches. And I want you to just follow the order on this with me. God, this is the way God laid it out. Home churches was number one, which means we have to build a strong sanctuary, a kingdom sanctuary in our home. That's through the home church. And then we have the second pillar of county by county is homeschooling which makes perfect sense because if you're going to bring your child home or have help somebody and have their child over to your house for, a, I could say, a pod in a community for homeschooling, you've got to have a kingdom safe space for them to come. And then we go to the third one, which is Patriot Gardens, and that's literally sowing seeds. So when you start to look at this whole part down and we start to see hear the, for example, the term rescue, heal, and restore as the three words of Operation Vineyard, you can take those together in the first three pillars of county by county and make it fit. Rescue, home churches. Heal, homeschooling. Restore, sow seeds, which we call Patriot Gardens. We have to be active here right now and really be on the offensive for what this evil and and be prepared for the the slaying that this evil is doing because it's aggressive and it's ugly and it's it's just one of these things that I just shake my head at and just like wow lord you know what has happened to us in such a crazy way and unfortunately it has been a crazy slaying I want to play a piece. I played it last hour, but I do want to play it again because I was that I think it's that important of a message. And this is the message by Reverend Calvin Robinson. And he spoke in Oxford on February 23rd, 2023. It's about five minutes. And I just really think it's worth listening to this message again. It's powerful. It really delineates a lot of our role in a confused word world and reminds us of these very important lines and the discriminant lines that we must walk as Christians. Here we go. We are directly talking about undermining God's plan as he has revealed it to us. We're replacing his authority with our own. If marriage is no longer between one man and one woman, are we open to the idea of polygamy? We disregard the heterosexual aspect, so why not the monogamous aspect too? If love is love, as we keep hearing, who is to say that three men loving each other is not more love than two men loving each other? And I'm sure someone in this chamber has echoed the words love is love tonight, and this is not about love being love. This is about marriage, the sacrament of holy matrimony. It is directly connected to love, but it's not the definition of love. Too many people utter those words and confuse the meaning of love. Agape, the biblical context of love, is a divine love. It's a sacrificial love. It's not lustful. People often conflate sex with love. It's very disingenuous. We've heard quite a bit of that. But then, of course, atheists often pirate the words, God is love, and we've heard that one tonight too. Again, without any understanding. Yes, God is love. But he sets the terms, not us. Another one we've heard plenty of is inclusivity. Should the church be more inclusive? Again, it's a play of words. It's, it's virtue signaling. It's to appear good rather than to be good. The church should absolutely be inclusive. Christ spent time with tax collectors and prostitutes, but it is they who went away changed, not Christ. We are fallen, therefore we are all sinners. The church is open to sinners, of course it is, that's the purpose of the church. But it should not be to encourage people to continue to sin. Our duty as clerics is to help lead people to Christ, to lead them away from sin, not to embrace it, not to affirm it. I know many LGBT people who live lives in Christ, 
They abstain from sexual gratification to be closer to God, and it's not easy, it really isn't. It's perhaps not fair, but it is right and it is good. And these people are being let down. I've had people crying, saying, I could have got married, but I did what the church taught me was right, and now the church is saying they were wrong all along. I've wasted my life. As Christians, we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. In the secular world, we already have equality in law. People can enter civil partnerships or even gay marriage outside of the church, and that's their prerogative. However, the faith is inherently discriminatory. God is discriminatory. He sets conditions on us entering his heavenly kingdom. It is not a free-for-all. We must turn away from sin, repent, and follow Christ. And I want to specify, it is the sin that is the problem, not the sinner. Every single person is loved by God, and God forgives all of us of our depravity. But we have to turn away from our sins and turn toward him. And it seems the panel opposite me has forgotten to separate the sin from the sinner. One can denounce sin while still welcoming the sinner. So as I wrap up, my message to the proposing side is, do not lead us astray. Do not lead people astray. Do not be the wolves in sheep's clothing. Do not be the false teachers that the Bible warns us about. Remember your obligation to defend the faith. Stop teaching about diversity, inclusion, and equality, and get back to teaching about redemption and salvation. This is spiritual neglect. Help people by telling them the truth. Be kind to people by supporting them through those struggles and reminding them that Christ suffers with them. And be compassionate by leading them to Christ when the world tries to lead them away from him. The church is imploding and the faithful masses have stopped turning up on Sundays and we are seeing the most rapid decline of Christianity in this country that we may have ever seen. Do not accelerate it with heresy. You do not have the authority to bless sin. When I hear the Bishop of London on record saying these new prayers will mean priests can bless same-sex relationships, some of which may be sexual in nature, I hear the devil at work. Bishops are promoting the idea of sacramental sodomy. Let them be anathema, repent. And to the rest of you, I have no doubt that some of you will consider me a bigot or a transphobe or a homophobe, but I am neither of those things, none of those things. I am simply a follower of Christ, a Christian. And we are naturally countercultural. And if so-called liberals were truly diverse and tolerant, they would embrace us just as they embrace everyone else. And the point has been made, but the growing Christophobic attitude around this public debate and the ugly level of, of hypocrisy is that we really see people hold Muslims and people of other faiths to the same expectations that they hold Christians to. Who is calling for the Quran to be updated to modern societal norms? The same patronizing attitude of people of other, that treat other faiths, patronize other faiths while being intolerant towards Christians at the same time. It's a shame, but in the words of St. Athanasius of Alexandria, if the world is against the truth, then I am against the world. Then I am against the world if the world is against truth. Agreed. And we must take that bold stand, and we have to be strong in that place. The comment that he makes there is just really important, and we've seen already that you burn a single Quran and the Muslim radicals lose their mind. Now, on one hand, we find that a bit irrational, and yet maybe we should reframe and re relens ourself. They're talking about rewriting the Bible, and Christians as a whole are saying nothing. Matter of fact, it's worse than that. They're saying, what can we do? Oh my goodness, they're going to take the Bible away from us. They're going to rewrite it. We can burn one Quran, and half the Muslim world goes nuts and starts burning down the cities. Who's right? Who's wrong? And as much as it is for easiest for us to point at Muslims and judge them for the actions, maybe we should start looking at those three other fingers that are looking back at us and asking us why we don't have the righteousness in our heart to stand up and be so bold to protect God's word. This is a time that we have to start looking across the aisle and being honest with ourselves. And it's not an easy thing to look at. You know that in Dearborn, Michigan right now, there is an amazing fight waging on. And I'm sitting here, and literally I was talking about this the other night, I said, I cannot believe what's happening there, and we're not getting anything from the Christian community. And this is what's going on. In Dearborn, Michigan, they have banned, and this, remember, this is Dearborn is a Muslim-controlled community. They have mosques there. We go, oh, they have mosques. Oh, the Muslims are coming in. Okay, Whatever. You hear Muslims are going to hell. They don't believe in Jesus. Okay. I, I'm, I'm just like, okay. 
Well, let's look at some other things. In Dearborn, they banned the LGBTQ flag. In Dearborn, you can't fly the pedophile trans flag. You can't fly the rainbow flag. And when you ask them why, they are very clear about it. Our God tells us, and this is what they say, this is a country that we have the right to worship the way we worship. In our community, in our God tells us that a man and a woman are the only ones that can get married, that a man and a man or a woman and a woman that are together and have sex go straight to hell. That's coming from the Muslims. And the white liberals that are supposed to have some sort of Christian faith are distraught because it doesn't seem to be very inclusive, just exactly as Reverend Calvin Robinson spoke here just now. So again, this is a time that we're going to have to open our eyes. The interesting thing is that on the, what we'll call the, which is effectively a fringe movement right now in the body of Christ, which are the ones standing up against this pedophilia that's in our schools, we're finding that there's amazing unity happening between Muslims and Christians when we get to the point of the, of the children. And at least in one community where Muslims couldn't speak English well, they called in one of their representatives, and I don't know that he was an imam or just a representative for them who was very articulate, as they were feeling that they were getting railroaded because they couldn't counter the arguments well enough since their English wasn't up to the standard of the satanic school board that was driving pedophile images into the kids' homes and teaching little boys in images of how to have oral sex with another man and teaching little girls how to do their thing with another girl. And so at least the Muslims called to somebody who came in and spoke extremely well and very definitively about the lines that would not be tolerated and would not be crossed. Now, I'm not telling you it's not happening within the Christian community, but what I am telling you is it's individuals in the body of Christ that are speaking up and the community is sitting here going, hmm, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Should we, should we, should we stand up to this? Is this the right thing to do? What should we do? I wonder if we need to worry about inclusion. I wonder if we need to maybe, is it right to go against the rainbow flag that our church is now flying on its front yard? Our pastor's talking about inclusion. This is the whole damn problem. Is so many of the churches, the relationship with Christ and with God is built through the pastor telling you how to be a Christian. That's not the way churches started. In the day of Paul and Peter, People were seeking that relationship with Jesus. And that's where we go back to that model, the brilliance of the model that God gave us, the seven pillars of county by county. Home churches. That's right out of Paul. That's right out of Peter. That's the disciples going to ground and starting to bring the true relationship and the, of the living God into the world to make it part of their home, part of their communities, knowing that they lived in a very semi-permissive, sometimes non-permissive environments because the Romans were around. They would go in and huddle in their homes at risk of death at times to study and to build that love in Christ. So when you look at what happens after a span of, I'm going to say I may be off a bit, but about 400 years following the crucifixion of Christ, Rome falls. Now, I just want to kind of point this out. Rome falls. Okay, that didn't happen by people sitting in a pew or tucking away in their homes going, hmm, I wonder if we should say anything. Hmm, I wonder if, if maybe we should just hide It happened because they built the strength in the body of Christ, because they pursued the truth, because they understood as Christians there were things to do and things you couldn't do. They were dealing with a very hedonistic debacle of a a world then. In that period of Rome, you're dealing with mass orgies and you're dealing with this whole devil worship. It was just another version of Baal and, and in their whole, in their God structure. And so they brought in monotheism and they brought in the relationship with Christ and they, they over the people themselves, the power of the people overthrew the empire of Rome. 
We are at that same juncture right now. And again, I do point out that it, it frustrates me. I will be honest because it shouldn't be the Muslims that are leading the fight on some of this stuff. I don't know of a Christian community in this country who has stood up and said LGBTQ flags are out. I do know that, well, it's not entirely true because in um, Orange County they did. Orange County, California, they banned the LGBTQ flag, but they did it on the principle of simply stating, that's. but that's just in the county, only on county buildings. In What I understand in Dearborn is it's everywhere. So why is that happening? How did we lose our way so much that we've become so soft and so non-defensive of what we are? I mean, David stands before Goliath, and he reminds Goliath that he defamed his God. And he makes it very clear that God is going to seek retribution, and he's going to bring you, David tells him, to my hand. David steps in as the soldier of the Lord. He steps into that line and literally wielding the sword of the Spirit to say, dude, you crossed the line, you've defamed my God. And that's it. And he declares he's basically what he's doing in that process is he's bringing Goliath to the courts of heaven. And without seeing these specific words, he is bringing Goliath to judgment by declaring that the Lord will bring him to his hands. And he does. And with a stone kills Goliath and then fulfills his promise by cutting off his head. Justice is delivered. But it took the courage of David stepping in because the rest of the army is sitting on the side cowering. This is where so much of the Christian community is today, waiting, like waiting for what? When Jesus shall return, Jesus, take me away. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And there literally are days I'm like, Lord, just go ahead and take them away because this, these are just anchors in our way. Now, and that's a little harsh because I know I can already feel God's like, son, and I'm like, yeah, I know. And I mean that, okay? We do want them to stand up. But the fact is that they're not. I mean, someone said to me earlier tonight in chat, and it's a true statement. It gets so frustrating because nobody is standing up. And it gets, and so I'm like, you're right. That's why we have a remnant that will fight for them. And hopefully, as we see in the event of David, as we see with Gideon, hopefully those that are sitting on the backside worried about their own personal things that when the true remnant steps into the ring and deals with what it needs to deal with, hopefully, hopefully, they will realize that it's their time to pursue the enemy as the main body is brought down and the remnant of the enemy flees. They will then have the courage enough to pursue them. But I also know, and I've said this before, that there is going to be this attempt to make peace at any cost. It is so indoctrinated in the church. See, here's one of the big differences between the Muslims and the Christian community. And this isn't going to be popular, and I'm sorry, but this is a truth. Since, I don't know, it's been going on for a long time with the CIA, but if we really want to take it to the whole bit with the war between Iran and Iraq, which was a proxy war, and then you take into our invasion in Iraq and the whole war that we waged in on the Middle East, we have been bombing, blowing up, killing Muslims left and right in the name of terrorism. We've been ravaging them. They know what it's like to be persecuted. On a flip, go to China. The Chinese Christians know what it's like to be persecuted. And the Chinese Muslims know what it's like to be persecuted. Those would be the Uyghurs. And Fulong Gong understands what it's like to be persecuted. So it's probably no surprise that some of these groups understand the need to come together, but there's also a frustration when you look at American Christians and you're like, and you would be where? There is a group that I came across in Afghanistan that was, it's a Christian group. Privately funded with money from big churches and big donors and others, which included three-letter agencies. 
hiring Christian mercenaries to go to Kenya to kill Muslims. I'm not really seeing how that equates into biblical territory, but they did, apparently, because apparently killing the infidels was a good idea to make to wage peace on the war, on the world. We have got to dislocate ourselves from this mentality of a bipolar game that we've been put in. And I'm not here advocating for Islam, but I am looking at this going, okay, maybe we better open our eyes because Islam's seeing something and they're not happy with Christians. Let's be clear. They'd like to see us erased. And I'm like, it's not all, but many. But they're at least holding a line against what they see as an extreme threat, which would be the pedophile and the pursuit of the children to groom the children, which they are not going to have. So take that for what it's worth, that we better start seeing some fire in our belly and stop trying to be compromising and accommodating to everything and start getting the righteousness which God demands of us. And, you know, I keep coming, I do come across this a lot. I come across, and there's plenty of examples of the debauchery within Islam. I've run into it. It's horrible. And it's easy to look at it because it's outside of us. But when we start to pull back the layer and we start to look at how deep this ranking of pedophilia is, even within our churches, it's like, you know what? We can no longer just point at one group or the other. We're going to have to start looking within and start seeing that it's all around us and be honest because what we're really pursuing here, as we're pursuing the relationship with Christ in this world and what that calls upon us to do as Christians, that doesn't require the temple, it doesn't require the pew, it doesn't require the skinny jean pulpit of the pastor that has no spine and got his nuts cut off somewhere along the way of seminary. What it requires is a fire and a brimstone in our heart that is literally standing up now and saying, look, enough is enough. You're not touching our children at any cost and going into our communities and demanding that this equity crap gets thrown out. We're not playing equity because that's another name for mainstreaming pedophilia and mainstreaming child grooming. And it's time that we stand up and start being bold. And start understanding we have a role here that may make you uncomfortable. And, I don't, and I'm not faulting you if you feel this way uncomfortable to where you're like, well, yeah, but we, Christ is a, a, about love. Yes, love. But understand love here. Okay, love for the children doesn't mean love for the, for the pedophile. And, it, and while it, and it's said here, Reverend Calvin Robinson says it, it's the sin, not the sinner. I get it. But at the same time, when the sinner and the sin are destroying the innocence of the gift of God, like I've said so many times, it's the one place in the Bible that Christ goes straight gangster and says, millstone thrown into the sea. We've got to make some hard decisions about how we walk. And at times, it may mean that you have to take a hard step and say, I don't know what's going to, and ask yourself, you're going to end up asking yourself, what's going to happen to me in heaven? This is what I know. And I've said this before, and I'm going to be very clear what I'm going to say here. Saving children has to be a priority. So at two levels of this, if I was given the opportunity to save all the children in the world and told by somebody that you're going to have to give up your place in heaven to do it, my answer would be, send me. I don't mean that lightly. I mean it exactly what I said. If it, the same was given to save humanity and it was like, you're going to have to give up your seat in heaven, I'd be, send me. Because my life is not worth more than the children that are coming into this world that are being tortured and destroyed. And one might say, well, that's never going to happen because Christ died for our sins. I'm like, you know what? That's not my point. My point is how far are you willing to go? What are you willing to sacrifice? 
What do you believe in so much that you're willing to sacrifice everything to defend? That's my point of that statement. And it is horrific. When we listened to that point yesterday by Sheriff Judd, Grady Judd, yesterday from Polk County, and he's telling us that they have a three-week-old baby with its hands tied behind its back that is being prepped for sexual rape and exploitation. Tell me what you are willing to do at that point. Are you going to go in if you encounter it and go, hey, guys, can I have the child and I want to pray for you and bring you to Jesus? Now, I'm going to tell you exactly where that's going to go, and I don't care what this says to people, but it's clear. I'm going to be like, that baby is getting freed, and you're going to before. I'm sending you to the court of heaven, one-way ticket, leaving this earth forever, period. That is how we have to have in our hearts, in my opinion. There can be no compromise with some of these people. And while I am all understanding very clearly that there are other ranges of this, there are people that are victims of this, there are porn abusers that can be saved and they need to be. I get that. But there is some despicable acts here that our problem is we become so soft on the gamut of everything. We've become like, you know, you ever seen that, what is it, it was called slime, it came into a, or, you know, it came into this can and you pour it out and it was like this creepy stuff that felt kind of greasy but wasn't greasy and it would just kind of fall everywhere. That, we're like that. We have no form. We have no rigidity. We have no strength. We're not doing what God told us. Stand. Do not bow. Stand. So when I look over at a community of Muslims where the youth are even taking action, the youth are out roaming around with eggs, egging flags, this was an interview done just recently, and I'm like, you know what? I would, I really want to sit down and go, I want you to follow Jesus, but I'm going to give you props right now for doing the right thing about crushing this deb- debacle of sexual perversion that's infesting your community. And it's like that right there, what I see is, man, that is an opportunity for strong Christians and strong Muslims to sit down and shake hands and go, okay, we just found some common ground. We found common ground, which is God's children. Now let's fight together. And in the process, you can pray for me if you want, but I'm definitely praying for you because I'm going to pray for you in this process that you really experience the power of the Holy Spirit for doing the right thing. And hopefully you'll see that love in me and that might in me. And maybe I can bring you over to meet Christ. Just saying. But I do know that we had better find our fire. And we had better put down our foot. On this evil that is corrupting so many things. These children are screaming for help. And it just, and it doesn't have to be, you know, when you look at Sound of Freedom, what we see in Sound of Freedom is we see this thing foreign to our soil happening outside our border. We have this very narrow focus of events of two young kids that are saved because they've been picked up in Honduras, I think it is, or El Salvador, wherever they are, and then they're eventually brought and reunited with their parents, with their father. Okay. And in the process, there's kind of this side story that one of the customers happens to be in the United States. Well, folks... We don't need to even worry about the trafficking part to see the destruction of kids. We're seeing it in our schools. We're seeing it in our daily lives. If you take time, and I just got introduced to this last, this last couple days, if you take time to read the curriculum that's coming out even to homeschool parents that isn't even coming from public schools, it's still playing these games of implied sexualization, overemphasis of the feminine traits, all of these things. They're waging a war here against the kids. And the number one consumers of this garbage live here. On a global level, we have more people in this country consuming child pedophilia and taking advantage of child sex-related any debauchery, period, right here in our borders. 
So if someone tells me or tries to paint a picture to me that like, well, you know, we have to worry about the foreign threat of bringing children into the country, I'm going to be like, BS, brother. I have to worry, and my heart worries, about the young girl, a young boy that goes to school for a moment and gets snagged locally or worse, gets seduced at school by some pervert that the parents aren't, uh, don't have eyes on, and in a flash, their innocence is ripped away from them and they are destroyed. I saw a video, cute, supposed to be a cute video. I wish I could have seen it through the eyes of the cuteness that it really was. And it was adorable, except the looming reality of the world we live in. A mother took away the, her daughter's tablet and the young girl got very upset. And so she decided she was going to run away. So she packed her suitcase and took her teddy bear and she walked out of the house and took her suitcase to the end of the driveway. And she stood there for a bit and the mother filmed the whole thing. And it was, it was beautifully innocent and a wonderful parenting moment in a normal world. And the young girl then looks around and she's like, Phew, and she walks down to the end of the block and then realizes that that's probably not a good idea. And so she walks back to the house and she comes up to the door and the mother greets her and she says, oh, you're back. And the girl kind of gives a pouty yes. And she says, well, you want to come in and have some pizza? And the mother's laughing and the girl's kind of pouting and she says, yes, I want pizza. And it's all over. An adorable, adorable story of a mother that let her daughter just have some space to be whatever she's being, and the girl comes back, and the mother is watching her the whole time, except this. In the world we now live in, the whole time I'm watching that, I'm thinking, Lord, I'm so happy you kept this girl safe. Because in a flash, that girl could have been picked up by a roaming predator in this world that we now live in, and no matter how fast that mother would have moved, that girl would have been taken and destroyed in minutes. When we talk about county-by-county county action, when we talk about Operation Vineyard, that innocence has to be preserved at all costs. You want to talk about how to get involved? And I say it over and over. It's our local communities. We have to all become vigilant, but it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take a remnant to raise an army. And it has to be the Gideon's 300 that raises the rest of them that went away to the village for whatever stupid reason they had that are now coming back to pursue the army as it runs over the mountains because they can bring in chaos. We need the Gideon 300. And that's truly what Operation Vineyard is. It's raising up that remnant that has the fire and the passion in their heart to say, no, <laughs> at any cost, no. Your rainbow crap, it goes. You're coming after our kids, no more. You don't even say it anymore because if you do, we're, we're leveling this. And every one of you that's out here swinging your junk in front of kids and dancing on the ground and every one of you, we're getting your name and we're praying on it, and we're bringing you to the courts of heaven, and we're asking for judgment to rain down on you. And if God gives you mercy, that's God's choice. But we're praying to have you brought to the courts of heaven and be judged. And when we start getting aggressive like this, we're going to start seeing the power of our authorities come into full blossom and full bloom. And we're going to start seeing what happens when these people start to tread and do lead the little ones even to sin. Because Christ was very clear about that. We have got to get the fire. And the fire has to be intense. We have to take back this nation. We have to take back our neighborhoods. We have to take back this world from the predators, the wolves that we've allowed to roam. We've got to be eagles again. Let's pray. Father, a world without truth is a world that we can no longer be part of, and yet we are not, and that separates us and reminds us that we're not of this world. And so, Father, as we sit here tonight and we pray and we look at all that's going on, we realize, and hopefully the message is 
powerful enough to awaken that we need the fire in our hearts to stand up and be bold, to be the Davids. So, Father, my prayer tonight is literally we need the David standing. We need the passion that is fearless that will stand in front of this evil and call it out. Not being afraid that you're going to step on toes or you're going to offend somebody or offend a pastor because he put a flag of an LGBT rainbow in his front yard or because they want to have inclusion and afraid that you're going to be ostracized from the church. We need the warriors of Christ to step in and step hard in and remind these people that we are children of the Most High. Even the churches need to be reminded of this. And we need those strong voices now, Father. And so, Father, tonight we pray We pray for the strength of the many to hear the call, to stand boldly in front of evil, to draw the sword of the Spirit, to be fearless, to lean in, and to draw the line that cannot be crossed. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So, Patriots, Be strong, be mighty, lean in. We have a lot of work to do. But it can be won as long as we hold true under the banner of Christ. As we walk with Jesus through Christ to the Father, we lean into him and let him work through us. We can literally move mountains. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again. Dive into the deepest dead. Oh.